Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Thanks for listening to the show. To support the podcast and letter, get lots of member-only features and follow Mike and Karina behind the scenes, go to aletterfromireland.com forward slash plus. That's aletterfromireland.com forward slash plus. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, this is Mike Collins and you're very welcome to this episode of the Letter From Ireland show. Now, what do we have for you today? Well, today's show is entitled An Irish Carnival to an Irish Easter. So as I'm actually recording this show today, we're in fact coming up to Lent, the 40 days before Easter, which basically means around the many, many Latin parts of the world, they're actually celebrating Carnival. And in some ways, that's similar for the Irish of our ancestors. There was a fair bit of exuberance around before the austerity was actually forced upon everybody for the 40 days leading up to Easter Sunday. So today we're actually going to feature two letters that focus in on this particular time. And the first one that Queen is going to read in a few moments is all about something called the Skellig List, which was a bit of a workaround when it came to the locals, many of our Irish ancestors, trying to actually figure out ways of getting around some of the actual restrictions that were forced upon them with regards courting and the likes over the period of Lent. And then Queen is also going to read a second letter and we're going to comment and she's going to comment on a Lenten pastoral letter from the 1800s. The type of letter that was read out from the pulpit immediately before Lent for our shared Roman Catholic ancestors, which is round about 85-90% of the population of the island of Ireland at the time. And in this letter, it laid out very, very clearly just what you could and couldn't do, mostly what you couldn't do, over that period of Lent. So I think you'll find that pretty interesting as well. We're going to feature three pieces of music. We're going to start off with a more exuberant piece, is Chasing the Fox by the Chieftains. We're then going to move on to the more uh, sublime and spiritual, is the Ar Nahar, in other words, the Our Father. It's going to be sung by Michael Nash. And finally, we're going to come out the other side at Easter with a track called Easter Snow, performed by Matt Malloy and Martin Carthy. So plenty to enjoy in today's show. So let's get on with the show and start with the first track there, which is Chasing the Fox, performed by the Chieftains. Thank you. 
there is a very special island, no more than a rock really, that clings to the coast of County Kerry. And it goes by the name of Skellig Michael. S-K-E-L-L-I-G, Skellig Michael. And it became the monastic home to a dozen hardy monks over a number of centuries. It's also one of the surreal locations that you see in a Star Wars movie. Maybe you have visited Skellig Michael? If you did, it required a fine day, calm seas and a little luck to land on that isolated spot. The monastery on Skellig Michael was founded by St. Finian around 500 AD. He built a number of beehive stone huts and oratories there with a dozen other monks, and they lived off the meat and eggs supplied by the local bird population. It sure was a life of austerity and isolation, a life of few distractions, you might say. However, the weather pattern started to change in the 1100s and they made it extremely difficult to reach the island by boat, as now there were huge tides and swells. The island was abandoned shortly afterwards, but its isolation made sure that the location remained undisturbed through subsequent centuries. Now, the word skellig has come to mean something else altogether over the years here in Ireland, and it's a meaning that your ancestors would have been familiar with, especially if your ancestors came from the counties of Cork or Kerry. In the island, Ireland of our ancestors, marriages were forbidden on the 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter Sunday. The feasting and frolicking of a marriage would have been considered way out of the question. However, the monks of Skellig went by a slightly different church calendar compared with the mainland of Ireland, and Lent started on Skellig Michael a little later than on the mainland. So, a loophole was discovered. As a result, it became customary for a number of women who were in need of a husband and a number of men who were in want of a wife to head over to Skellig Michael at the beginning of Lent for a spot of permitted matchmaking. The women meditated on the strengths they required in a husband, while the men prayed for repentance for their sins, or at least that was the plan. However, the tradition soon became an excuse for frivolity and dance among the attendees, resulting in the event eventually being banned by the church of the time. The names of the men and women who travelled to the island were kept on a special list called the Skellig List. And while the practice of travelling over to the island vanished, the use of the Skellig List lasted well into the 1800s and even beyond. So this list became a way to make fun of the bachelors and maidens of the parish who were considered to be still wanting for a wife or a husband. It became the tradition to publish the Skellig lists across a number of parishes each Shrove Tuesday. They were composed by local anonymous bards as a set of verses, and the contents, names and rhymes were eagerly anticipated by all in the parishes. Here are just four verses of one particular Skellig list. It'll give you a flavour of what fun there was if you were not named in the list and how embarrassing it must have been to be ridiculed and included in the list. This Skellig list comes from Castle Gregory in County Kerry and believe it or not, it was composed as late as 1951. 
So here goes with the list. Our musician Patsy Ray, who hails from Knock Moore, the hinges he has torn almost off Jeff Miller's cabin door. He's badly struck on Dora Fay. He says she is the one. And when he gets his way, they will wheel around for fun. Next, Phil Hanrahan. He thinks he is a mechanic. If this does not get the lady for him, he'll be in an awful panic. He often takes a trip to the village of Anaskol, but if there is anything wrong with his Eileen Connolly, he's sure to fix it all. The last is Minnie Hanrahan, who once was of men so shy, but now she's changed her methods and she is very sly. To find out who she's going with is a job too much for me, but when she's down in Maharese, tis Drummond's for the tea. I must conclude a finish, but I had some more to say. All my friends who are not in this, I'll deal with some other day. When some of you are married and have a child or two, remember, they'll be out all night just doing what you did do. (laughs) Well now, would you like to be named on that skellig list? It gives you a little flavour of the power of our ancient Irish bards. They could praise or ridicule you with a few well-chosen words and sometimes you weren't sure which one it was. So that completes our journey to a small monastic island off the coast of County Kerry and learning of that old bardic tradition that has long gone. But who knows? those skellig lists, they might appear again one of these days. You know, stranger things have happened around these parts. recognize those words but no doubt you're very familiar with them in English that is in fact the Our Father there and in Irish the Our Nahir and it's sung by Michael Nash in that case it's composed by a man called Sean O'Reada a very famous composer musician who came out of Coulay uh, or established himself in Coulay there in West Cork and amongst many other things put together an absolutely beautiful sublime mass in the Irish language that was sung by choirs and is sung by choirs all over Ireland today. So that's the Arnacher there, sung by Michael Nash. And now we're going to stay inside the church, actually, because Karina is going to share with you uh, some comments and observations on a Lenten pastoral letter 
that would have been read out by the priest across the uh, pulpits of County Wicklow, in fact, in the late 1800s. And in it, the priest, or if you like, as being mouthpiece of the archbishop, lays out very specifically just what the various parishioners can and mostly cannot do for the period of Lent. So over to you, Karina. When I was growing up in Ireland as a young Roman Catholic, a number of things were true for the majority of us Roman Catholics at the time. We all went to Mass on a Sunday. The church was full and there were some salubrious characters standing outside the back door catching up on the local news. And the priest often gave guidance to the gathered following his sermon. Every now and again, he'd read out a pastoral letter from the Archbishop of the area. Now, I must admit, few of us youngsters paid much attention to the reflections, suggestions and instructions issued within those letters. The pastoral letters were, in our minds, aimed at the older members of the audience. And by older members, I was referring to those who accepted ashes on their forehead for Ash Wednesday, never ate meat on a Friday, and always said a decade of the rosary every night. Nowadays, we mostly have freedom of individual religious belief. However, if you look back at the Ireland of our ancestors, especially for the 85% who are Roman Catholic persuasion, following church law was an important cultural requirement. They took the safeguarding of their souls very seriously, and especially if the priest was in a position to single one out from the pulpit for deviant behaviour. Now, as we come up to the 40 days preceding Easter Sunday, known as Lent in the Roman Catholic and other faiths, I thought it would be interesting to share extracts from a pastoral letter read out at all churches in County Wicklow back in 1899. It gives an insight into the complexities of church and civil law that our Irish ancestors would have had to navigate. So here goes... The letter is titled Lenten Regulations for Diocese of Dublin and it was read out from the pulpit to all parishioners in County Wicklow in the Sunday preceding Lent in February 1899. I'm sure it was added to by the local priest and the letter outlines in great details just what was allowed to pass between the lips of his parishioners on given days of any week during Lent. First, The general law of the church binds the faithful to fast on one meal with a collation, that's a small snack, on all the days of Lent except Sunday. On Sundays, there's no restrictions as to the number of meals to be eaten. So that was the main rule, but now on to the details. Even at the one meal allowed on the weekdays, only fasting fare can be taken insofar as a dispensation from the full vigour of the law may be granted by authority of the Holy See. Now, this was serious stuff. If you wanted an exception, you had to go all the way to the top. However, on that note, there were a number of exceptions and complications. On Sundays, the use of meat is allowed without restriction. On Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays, meat is allowed but you can only have meat at one meal only. On Wednesdays, as well as on Fridays, the law forbidding the use of meat in Lent remains in force. 
Now, the restrictions were not just about abstaining from meat. The use of milk, butter, cheese and eggs was allowed on Sundays without restriction. But on weekdays, when meat is allowed at the principal meal, there is leave also for the use at that meal of milk, butter, cheese and eggs. It then goes on to outline just who might be exempt from the rules, and these would include persons under 21 years of age, those who are engaged in exhausting occupations, the desolate poor whose meals are scant and uncertain, those whose state of health is such as to be unfit for the Lenten observances, and those who are over 60 years of age are exempt from the obligation of fasting. Now, that last rule will tell you just what age was considered old at the time. There are many more suggestions as to what can be imbibed or not on different days of the week. I'm sure the priest was kept very busy with his flock checking, probably a little tongue-in-cheek, on the possible exceptions on a regular basis during this time, to say nothing of the problems that it posed for the cooks. The final piece goes on to note the spiritual work that parishioners should undergo during this time. During Lent, it says, penitential works should be sanctified by meditating on the passion and death of our Redeemer, by performing the stations of the cross, by visiting the Blessed Sacrament, by devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus, or by other acts of piety and charity. As you can see, Lent was a serious and austere time for many of our ancestors. It also coincided with a time when the land was producing very little produce before the first crops of spring started to appear. It was also most likely a unifying time among a community when all looked around them and noticed most of their families and neighbours moving through the same Lenten requirements in lockstep as they all approached Easter. Even to this day, the meal on Easter Sunday in Ireland tends to be a feast. It features lamb and many other delights on the table. And still people of my age often ask each other, what are you giving up for Lent? Of course, we answer with the best intentions. How about you? I wonder if any of your Irish ancestors listened to such pastoral letters offering very precise guidance as they prepared for 40 days of abstinence from foods, alcohol, dancing, music, and many more such delights of the flesh. Maybe you even hear about some of these practices yourself today.
Our first piece of music today was Chasing the Fox, performed by the Chieftains, and that track was actually performed by another member of the Chieftains called Matt Malloy, ably assisted by Martin Carthy, and it's called Easter Snow. So that just about wraps up our triumvirate of music. And uh, two letters today, as we actually focus on an Irish Lent, an Irish Carnival to an Irish Easter. And I uh, hope you enjoyed today's show as much as we enjoy putting it together. I would ask you, if you've got a few moments, please do leave a review or a couple of words, or a couple of stars, whatever works for you on the platform of your choice, be it inside a forum or an Apple podcast or whatever. So this is Mike Collins, and on behalf of myself and Karina, thank you very, very much for listening this week, and we look forward to your company again next week. Slán for now. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, The Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show, and you can find full details of The Green Room at letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The green room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán Gafol, Karina. <laughs>